From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. I'm Scott Armstrong and I have several other servants that are here, all of them quite worthless. And I'm going to go around and Freya Galindo is to my left. Hi there. Then Emily Armstrong to her left. Hey, everyone. And A.J. Fry across from all of us. Hey, guys. And then I had mentioned Reverend last time, Reverend A.J. and Reverend Chelsea Fry. (laughs) It's because just several weeks ago, they were ordained as ministers in the Church of the Nazarene. Congratulations. I realized, like, I said, I realized I said Reverend, and then I didn't like explain why that even ma- mattered or what the difference was, you know. But this is kind of a new thing, so congratulations, guys! And Frey is next. And Frey is next. Yes, that's right. There I'm not four- gonna say anything. <laughs> God is speaking. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's move on to the topic of the day. <laughs> so we're gonna take <laughs> Yeah, but before that, remember we have a new jingle. Thank you, Nata. Fun facts with Chelsea. Fun fact, butterflies taste with their hind feet. Wait, wait, wait. Again, oh. again, again. Butterflies have feet. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> first fun fact, okay. butterflies have feet. And then? Next is, they taste uh-huh. with their feet. Okay, so uh, they don't have a tongue. Their hind feet, the back ones. <laughs> yeah, she's like, but only their hind feet. Yeah. Let's Can you imagine if you now. tasted everything with your feet? Oh, I stepped in dog poop today. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, guys, we didn't want to know that. You'd be, you'd have to be very careful where you step. That's true. That's true. Oh, There's an application everything. there. Oh. Now that we're all reverends. Oh, that could be. Oh. That's a, a sermon, sermon illustration. So that's Chelsea Fry. I think, I think you got that, uh, Reverend Chelsea. And yeah, the fun facts are going well. But uh, yeah, <laughs> is not convinced. really confused. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first time that we've ever done this. This will be the third straight episode that we touch on a topic, but it's so big, so important that we were talking, and we said let's even dedicate one more episode to this is the topic. Language learning, right? So this time is kind of, maybe we'll have some some stories. I, I think probably we will. But this one is especially dedicated to how language affects our thinking or even affects our brain. I think all of us have read different articles or, or, or kind of researched a little bit on this. And as an introduction, I'd like to just cite, well, this sounds kind of pretentious, but <laughs> cite Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Empire <laughs> emperor. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not Charlemagne the God. Do you guys know who that is? No. No. Oh, okay. Well, he's a radio personality. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. This is Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Emperor. He says, to have a second language is to have a second soul. Right? So that's pretty profound. He's not like, oh, yeah, well, learning another language, that's going to be something really good and beneficial in your life. I mean, he's saying literally it's deeper than that. And I think a lot of us would would resonate with that. So the question would be, does language learning, does learning another language actually affect the way we think or see the world? What have you guys kind of researched and thought about as we've prepared for this? Well, I was watching a TED Talk and it was talking about this this topic kind of, 
And so she was explaining the difference in language and how it affects how we learn and how we tell stories and how we we even like know our directions. She gave an example specifically of this one um, group of, of indigenous people that their whole directional system is based on north. So like when you greet someone, you don't say, hey, how are you? You say, hey, which way are you headed? And you have to give your like cardinal direction. So, hey, I'm 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 going northeast, west, south. Whatever. <laughs> wait, well, no, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's Should we dive in into circles. That? <laughs> no, let's not get caught up on that. I'm a little sick if you can't tell, so we'll just chalk it up to the medicine. Um, no. Uh, so the way that they talk, she even said, they didn't use left and right feet. They they used your your north foot or your east foot, depending on where you were standing in the moment. So literally, if you're looking one way, you would have to know what direction you're facing yeah. to, to say if it was your east foot or something right. like that. Right, your east foot could change. Right, right. Depending on which direction you're facing. And what was cool about that example was she talked about how that culture tells stories. And she gave the example of, she put up on the board a progressional photo of an of a, her grandfather starting at childhood all the way to her older adulthood. And it went in picture form and it started at young and went uh, left to right because that's the way in English we read and write is left to right. And so then she said, but the people of that culture of this indigenous people where the direction dictates storytelling, um, they would put it in progression based on where east and west are located at the current moment of the story. So if someone, Freya, if you were telling me the story of your grandfather, you would you would put it in order based on where east and west is right now because the sun rises in the East <laughs> and says in the West. See, my culture is not dictated by direction. So you just a second. So you're saying, like, it, we're used to reading left to right. Correct. But you're saying that if East happened to be right, then they would put it right to left or even top to bottom. Yes, or kind if of you were standing looking south. Oh, man, that's getting complicated. <laughs> if you were standing looking south, then your story would... Go from left to right. Go to left to right. But if you were looking east, then it would go top to mm-hmm. bottom. Okay. So it would be a, a horizontal story. Vert- vertical. vertical. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, vertical. Let me fix Let's that. Let's not send Chelsea to this culture. because <laughs> <laughs> You can't be missionary well. <laughs> there. I have really good bearings based on where the McDonald's are in <laughs> the country. So. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if I can just jump in here. So I think I know where you're going with this. Obviously for us... Our language does not place a priority on that. Correct. But for them, it has completely revolutionized the way they think. Now, mm-hmm. they may think that it's very complicated the way we do other things. Mm-hmm. But for them, it's very natural to always at any moment mm-hmm. know where South Southeast is. Yes. And she even, the, the TED Talk talker, even mentioned, she kind of jokingly said, you know, in English, we think that time revolves around us and it's very egotistical and in their culture it, the storytelling everything time revolves around the space the land mm-hmm. and it's very communal communal 
And so even just that mentality of individual versus collectivism can be brought up in that language learning piece. So I think the question that some people, maybe even anthropologists would ask is, so did the language come out of that thought process? Like, is that the result of that culture or thought process? Or did the language kind of help initiate that? I don't know that we'll ever have an answer (laughs) to that. But it's clear that there's a relation between the way people think or even the, mm-hmm. the way they feel or their culture, the way they see the world, and the language. Yeah. What other examples do you all have? So there was another thing that she mentioned during the TED Talk that Chelsea watched. I, I saw that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, well, in Spanish, we use gender pronouns to refer some words, like if we're referring to the sun, we would use like a masculine mm-hmm. uh, pronoun, and the moon, we would use a feminine pronoun. But I know in English, you don't uh, make that difference or that um, you don't change the way you're referring to the sun or the moon. That's true. So so uh-huh. let's, let's dive into this just a second. So in English, it would be just the sun, the moon. Yeah, but in Spanish, the sun is masculine right. and the moon, it's feminine. Right. And she was saying that um, it depends on how, how we look at those things that we, um, we would apply some adjectives to those things. So maybe we would say... For the sun, we would use uh, adjectives that we would use for uh, as a masculine, mm-hmm. you know. And for the moon, like it's pretty, it's beautiful, okay. you know. So, what or would feminine. be some of the the suns? Like, I'm even trying to think in Spanish. What? How would we refer to the sun? It's strong, fuerte. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. So like the sun is it's strong mm-hmm. and it's. Yeah. The Spanish is coming to mind. So <laughs> fuerte yeah. is the word. Yeah. But the moon is soft mm-hmm. and and. Like you said, it's pretty. Delicate. Or you never call the sun Delicate. pretty. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, the sun looks so pretty today. Huh. <laughs> yeah, maybe at a sunset right. or sunrise. Yeah. That's that's interesting. So you're saying even the language mm-hmm. uh, reflects or give us gives us a mindset of uh, what these things that aren't people, that aren't, mm-hmm. you know, but they're concepts, we already think of them differently. Yes, and I know like when people is learning Spanish, they have a hard time doing that, like dif- making that that difference, you know, when they are referring to these concepts. Mm-hmm. Because like in English, you don't have that. Yes. So, in, but in Spanish, we do. I yeah. get I get frustrated every time I talk to someone about water in Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's that's something. Like, yeah, it's confusing. It's because in singular form, the word for water is masculine, but in plural form the word for water is feminine yes because it it's the word for water starts with an a mm-hmm. and so it affects how they use the pronoun so that's just frustrating so, so learning. We're, we're nerding out here a little bit <laughs> yeah um but i think i think this makes some good points what other stuff did you guys maybe everyone saw the same ted talk i'm not sure but did you guys research any other things that emily i know that you were even looking we we published an infograph as well that kind of talks about how language affects our brains yeah i think one of the things and maybe i'm gonna ask aj because we haven't heard from you much aj <laughs> tried to think back to when you were learning language, did you feel extra tired on days when you were learning a language? Yes. Like, even doing simple things just mm-hmm. made me tired. Like, we would come back from language school, and I just want to take a nap. And all I had been doing that day was just sitting, right. 
and listening, <laughs> writing maybe, but but that's it. I was already tired because my brain was just working overtime. Yeah. In our, in our language classes were only four hours, so right. do, please don't picture like an eight-hour day. No. Right. <laughs> so like... I start to think about just with my like medical training and my background of okay, well like it's exhausting to sit and learn language mm-hmm. like and it's exactly what you've just said. We're either reading books or we're having a conversation. Like, why do you come home and feel like I can take a two hour nap? And um, a piece of that is because physiologically your brain is actually changing oh, when you creepy. learn language. <laughs> that's <Yeah. creepy. laughs> so like that's every time you would go to school, like, yeah, maybe your your skull isn't necessarily changing, <laughs> but all of this stuff inside I can't was taken up every time. <laughs> I don't need to yeah, you don't blame it on language. Yeah, no, I just I'm I'm ready for that <laughs> yeah. all the time. But it's it's almost like a skill. Like they were they were mentioning that it is a skill, kind of like to learn to dance or to learn to juggle. Mm. Huh. And even when I read that, I joked with Scott and I said, to learn to dance or juggle, like I feel like I could learn to li- dance or juggle much easier than learning a second language. Yeah. Like, don't you feel like that, Freya? But I don't know. Not for everyone, it's like easy to learn how to dance. That's true. So, That's true. Yeah. Why did you look yeah. at me? No, I didn't look at anybody. She's I didn't looking look at, at AJ. anybody. Yeah, I was looking at AJ or Chelsea. Yeah, not a good What? I dance. <laughs> yeah, well. She's like, I've got a good thing. Wow. Do you call that to dance? <laughs> do you call that dancing? I'm, I'm hurt. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, Love you, Chelsea. Goodness. Oh, goodness. My dancing skills have come from Sunday morning worship sessions. I watch the women go back and forth. What? And I've, learned, I've learned that dance step really well. So, I think language learning actually even physically causes certain parts of our brain to get bigger, right? Have, have any of you guys found uh, that? I'm, I'm just going to read this. It says it increases size in the cortical thickness. The cortical thickness, uh-huh. okay. Yeah, and this is associated with better memory and sharp thinking. Oh. I so need like, that. We're like <laughs> that. What's that alien movie with the big guy with the big head and he has a big brain? Nobody what? Knows what alien movie? Oh, she <laughs> wears big skates. What? what? Oh, oh, come on. Monsters vs. Aliens. Is the oh. guy in there that's got a big brain? There's. Or am yeah. I combining two movies? Yeah, the alien guy. No, the, the, that's another movie. You're talking about another movie. <laughs> But the and alien guy in this Megamente. one is... Wait. Oh, Megamind. That's Megamind. it. That yeah. one. Mm-hmm. We all have Megaminds. <laughs> they all of that? This? Yes. We <laughs> should change the name of the podcast to, to, to Megaminds. Exactly. Let's find a biblical verse that pairs that. Probably Le- could. Learn language. Megaminds. So learning a second language later in life, uh, an article says, changes the brain in the same way as learning complex motor skills, just what you were saying, Emily, such as juggling or dancing. And even a study by McGill University showed that learning two languages from birth has no effect on the brain. Did that surprise anybody? That really shocked Mm -hmm. me. Because, I mean, they say for kids that are growing up bilingually that they don't make a distinguishment Mm -hmm. between the two languages until two years old is what I've read. It's all just kind of one language. Yeah, so they they speak Spanglish if they're learning Spanish and English. They would speak Spanglish, essentially, for two years and not know that they're they're speaking different languages. Mm -hmm. At two is when we can make the distinguishment, oh, this 
this person doesn't speak this language. We had a two-year-old on one of our work and witness teams, and she was at the age where she could tell this person speaks English, this person speaks Spanish, and she would flip. We were labeled as Spanish speakers. Huh. And so she would not speak to me in English, but the team leader did not speak Spanish. Spanish. She would only speak to her in English. How old was she? She was two. Wow. Yeah. So that's shocking to me that it's not causing anything in her brain when she's obviously doing a skill that other people can't. She's choosing which language to use. Well, I think it probably goes to when you're a child, and especially an infant, like every day your brain is changing. And it is forming to become the person that you ultimately Mm -hmm. end up being, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I think that's probably where that science comes from of you can't see changes just because they're learning language at the same time, you know, both languages at the same time. It's how are you going to know if it's because they picked up another word in Spanish or because they finally understood that that's a caterpillar on the ground you know it's like their brain constantly is changing so my guess would be that that science goes more towards their brain is just an exceptionally wired brain they probably have a lot more pathways that have like come through and I even saw that in our own kids we laugh and I still laugh when I think about Elijah would be on the ground when he was three years old and he would be playing with his cars and he would always say they choke hard and chocar in Spanish is um, to crash, like something crashed, but he would end it with the ED, which is the past tense in English. You would never add that on in Spanish. Mm. So like, he had this mixture, and yeah. he just said it, and we knew what he was talking about because yeah. we spoke both, but somebody that didn't speak both languages would have zero clue what yeah. he was trying to say. And it was interesting to watch both of our kids walk through. Even one time steps. he said, Mama, I want some leche. So he didn't say mom, he said mama, so that's Spanish. I want some is in English, and then leche is milk, but leche is in Spanish. So he's combining all of right. them. Um, it was just fascinating to us to, to, to see them grow up that way. But it wasn't necessarily changing their brain the way that learning a language later in life does. Mm-hmm. Did anyone else, was anyone else impacted by like the example in the infograph on colors? The example of colors? Yeah, that was very interesting to me. Like, because they gave an example of like one culture, one language had maybe four different names for different shades of colors, but then another language for the same color but different shades had like mm. 500 shades, you know, like 500 different names of this one color. And that's very interesting to me. I also heard, not in this infographic, but previously that like Eskimos have 500 different names for snow whereas in English we have like wet snow, icy snow <laughs> or regular powdered snow. And even and, then we're calling it snow. Right. It's not but a it's different just word. Snow. Yeah for them it's a different <laughs> word like it's a different thing mm-hmm. but it's still snow but we just changed the adjective. Very yeah like a lot more different types of snow but different words and so that to me that's really interesting and here like, we don't even have snow right so. <laughs> we don't even have snow what is snow yeah. well it's interesting you say that Freya there are cultures in the world obviously not in cold climates that don't even know what snow is mm-hmm. right. now I mean with globalization anyone that can you know that has internet that has seen movies and stuff kind of knows what snow is but still in the cultures that aren't connected to the internet, that don't have all of you know, Hollywood influencing them, 
They have no concept of even what snow is. It's hard to translate that. Even in the Bible, I've heard that uh, translators from Wycliffe have, you know, your sins will be washed as white as snow. Like, like yeah. how do I say this in a culture that yeah. has no concept of snow? Yeah. You know? Although so I think some of that stuff, even you even said globalization, I can see the impact of language on the globalization scale of things, that there are words that are from other cultures that are becoming just a part of the lingo and vocabulary mm-hmm. of another, you know, land that maybe they've never experienced it. But, like, I can think in the United States, everybody knows what a tortilla is, and mm. everybody knows what a cappuccino is, and like mm. those are just mm-hmm. words and what from a other. Is. A taco. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and what she just said is a taco. <laughs> taco. That's the right. Or quesadilla. Oh. 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 Okay, Chelsea. We need to talk later. <laughs> she, she just needs to turn in her missionary yeah. card right now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like I think there are going to be things that, as we learn, you know, continue learning about language and even some of these issues that I wonder if some of this starts to go away a little bit or like if I was just thinking as you were talking about the color things of we were somewhere last week and instead of saying pull out the yellow paper somebody said pull out the canary paper right and like I knew they were talking about (laughs) yellow because that's what I would call you know what if I had to think of a color that went with canary I would think of yellow (laughs) but I was like that was kind of interesting as you like we do have different names for those things even though we're not a culture that necessarily would say we've got a thousand names for these colors so I think just maybe the um Um, brush the multicultural pieces that are starting to come together because of immigration all over the world Mm -hmm. um, that we are starting to bring in a lot of that kind of things into the way that we see things and even the last thing that I wanted to, to mention from that article is it says as well as learning vocabulary and grammar you're also unconsciously learning a whole new way of seeing the world and I think that's what as you start to learn language And that goes to the point that Freya was making of before we learned Spanish, I never would have thought of the sun as a male figure and the Mm -hmm. moon as a female figure. But now being in a Spanish culture and going back to Scott's very beginning of Charlemagne of you have two souls. Like, I do think that there are certain things that happen when I'm speaking Spanish. I do see the world differently. I I Mm -hmm. feel different when I'm speaking Spanish and not just even because I'm in a Spanish context, because I'm speaking the language Spanish than when I'm speaking the English language. It makes me feel different. Even like my politics feel different and stuff like that. And it comes a lot from language for me. I think it's also important to note note that our language learning experience has also been engulfed with cultural learning. Mm -hmm. Like I think of someone that just went to Spanish classes in the states Mm -hmm. they would have a very different view of language learning than we have because like i'm I'm thinking of what you were just saying and and like my worship in spanish is so much more open expressive expressive than my my worship in english and it's not that i'm not worshiping in one or the other or that i enjoy one or the other it's just my cultural context and my comfortability with each one and so even though like raising my hands during worship is not speaking Spanish. It has to do with my language learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so true. That's, mm-hmm. that's, true. that's something to keep in mind when we talk about challenging missional churches to learn a new language to reach a community. We were just talking with some friends that they have, they're 
they are going to start attending a new church that is in a Latino neighborhood. Mm. Everyone in the church family is is English speaker, but like not only do they need to learn Spanish, but they also need to learn the culture of that yeah. Spanish speaking community. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to think about. Well, and Emily, you even mentioned it has affected the way we see the world. Right. It's hard to separate, like you said, Chelsea. I'll give an example. I I view immigration very differently after mm-hmm. speaking Spanish, but learning it from people that speak Spanish and live live that. Now, we don't talk about immigration a lot. I, I don't think I talk a, about immigration a lot with people here, but by learning their language, and when I say language, I mean I'm not just talking about the phonetic way it sounds and all of that, but I'm I'm talking about the way they speak. What you were saying, the expressiveness and the like that has changed me. Actually, I start to see the world now, uh, like Charlemagne said. Like the, there's two souls. I haven't rejected one, mm-hmm. but I also can now see the point of view of other people, right. whereas I didn't beforehand. When I had just kind of, you know, I, I learned some Spanish, but just in high school. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really immersed in it and truly learning the language. And now I just see through different eyes. Are there any other takeaways that we would have? I think the the biggest thing that shocked me was when we were in language school, like that even animals ha- make different sounds. <laughs> yeah, in so, different languages. In different languages. Yeah, so, in so different like languages. in English, a cat goes meow, right? But in Spanish, here in the DR, it goes misu misu. Or well, that's how you call. That's it. how you call it. Mm. Uh, like the chicken is my favorite. So like. We would say, like, a rooster would go, cock-a-doodle-doo in English. But here it's, uh, like, wait, what just So happens? even, yeah, even how you imitate the animal sounds is different because yeah. of your language. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, they make the same sound, mm-hmm. but in different languages. The chicken speaks Spanish. So. <laughs> the chicken speaks Spanish. Which is funny. People don't think about that animals learn the language of where they're at because, like, our dog, we always say is a bilingual dog because he can, he understands commands in Spanish and English, but when we have people from the Dominican in our house and they hear us speak English to him with a command and then he mm-hmm. obeys, they're always like... <gasps> Your dog speaks English. <laughs> We're like, well, he doesn't speak anything, but he understands. <laughs> but you don't think about the even some of right. those language things. Yeah. Well, this has been really good, and I don't know that this will be the last time we ever talk about language learning. But uh, it was pretty important. I mean, remember way back from two episodes ago, talking about why it's important, how we learn languages. Last episode, we also talked about how to persevere, and then shared a lot of embarrassing uh, stories <laughs> about us messing up. But in this one, just really understanding this is not just us saying, please learn a language. It'd be really good on your resume. <laughs> this is us saying there's something deep that happens mm-hmm. when you learn another language. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us in, in different moments have said we'd be open to learning even a, a third or you know a language mm-hmm. and we probably need to prioritize that necessarily but what gives you that passion to do it probably living in that culture and wanting to speak with those people right emily you had i'll just use this quote that you kind of started it's a professor from lancaster university wow i'm going to try to say this panos athanasopoulos Yes. That's right. That's <laughs> totally right. You guys don't you guys don't know if I said that right or not but um he did. I, 
I hope I did. <laughs> he, he just said, as well as learning vocabulary and grammar, you're also unconsciously learning a whole new way of seeing the world. That's what Emily said. But listen to them what he says. There's an inextricable link between language, culture, and cognition. So I guess our challenge today would be learn a new language, even, even bits of that, because it will start to shape your worldview and even grow your brain. <laughs> Emily, if they have uh, other comments, if uh, anyone's listening and wants to get a hold of us, how can they do that? Find us on Facebook at Worthless Servants Podcast, and we'd also love to connect with you on MesoamericaGenesis.org under the podcast tab. Awesome. We are the Worthless Servants, and I am Scott Armstrong. I'm Freya Galindo. I'm Emily Armstrong. I'm AJ Fry. And I'm Chelsea Fry. We'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at MesoAmericaGenesis.org.